I should probably listen to grumpy old Ben's this year. Hello and welcome to episode number 82 of Grumpy Old Ben's for July 31st, 2020. Hey, it's a Friday. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where, yes, I do sauerkraut pierogies, Harry Hamster, and they're delicious. And from America's left coast, where I'm still waiting for my public school tax rebate check, I'm Ryan Bemrose. Are they giving you rebates? Is that because they're not going to have school? No, they're pocketing that shit. Teachers Which Union is, great. is by far the most powerful organization in the state. So, uh, I mean, the teachers are still collecting a full salary for sitting around doing nothing, except for the ones who are making sure to improve their vocation by rioting and burning down the cities. Well, that's a great job. If you could just say, I'm not going to yeah. work. Collecting a full government me. paycheck for yeah. in not going to work and rioting and burning down the city. Yeah, it's good work. Yeah, where do I get, get in on that? You, I want that. You have to join that the seems teachers like a good union. gig. Yeah. Well, okay. First I of all, go back to college and get an indoctrination certificate. I mean, teaching certificate. And not all teachers are bad, but no. all teachers no, actually, unions, I do honestly, believe, are most, evil. Most teachers are are actually really good people who get into. I mean, you don't get rich from on a teaching salary, so most of them are good people who just want to get you know help out kids. And don't get me wrong. Um, however, all unions suck. Uh, government unions should be completely illegal. We've covered that in a previous show. And uh, the activist teachers who are currently uh, burning down Portland um, probably need to maybe not be doing that or at least maybe not be collecting a tax funded paycheck while doing it. I don't know. Well, that's a big part of it. And I don't know. I personally, I think that if there is any proof that a teacher who is working for the government is, you know, working for the city in a roundabout way, the uh, really should be out of a job if they are caught up in things like rioting oh, yeah. and burning down. Although I tend to believe the same thing about them. Any mayor who does that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, you do have that in uh, Seattle, too. Jim. Poor, poor little Jenny Durkin. Wasn't she all in involved in this until the oh, mobs yeah, came to her yeah. house? OK, so uh, you're you're dropping right into one of my first stories, which is a totally local thing. And so I'm going to bore everybody who's not in the Washington area right off. Uh, Welcome to Seattle politics here on Grumpy. Old yeah, Benz. well, it, I, I mean, I, honestly, it's because I looked at this story and the, the first one, I just had to fucking laugh. Um, Jenny Durkin, the mayor of Seattle, is facing a recall. Uh, the uh, uh, judge recent or just uh, just a couple days ago approved that the recall petition can go forward. So if they can gather 30,000 signatures of Seattle residents, they can try to recall Jenny Durkin. And here's the kicker. Why do they want to recall her? No, it's not because she aided terrorists and seditionists and allowed a, a, a communist autonomous zone to appear. No, everybody's totally cool with that in Seattle. No, the reason they want to recall her is because she did not enforce any local city ordinances to ban the feds and the police from using tear gas on the terrorists. <laughs> so they're, Okay, let me just get this straight. Recalling her 
because she helped the terrorists. Uh, no, re, re, they're not recalling her because she helped the terrorists. I mean, that is the actual illegal thing that she did. But recalls aren't about what's illegal. They're about what's unpopular. And ah, yes, the yes. unpopular thing that she did was she didn't help the terrorists enough. She didn't do enough to hamper the efforts of law enforcement. And uh, it, you know, the, the petition, which I read said uh, that, you know, these, these poor protesters using tear gas on them in, in a pandemic where, you know, in COVID-19 pandemic, where the, you know, we've already got problems with our lungs and make using tear gas on people uh, will inflame and irritate the lungs and make people more susceptible to COVID-19. <laughs> yeah. Maybe rioting makes you more susceptible to COVID-19. So, so yeah, uh, Jenny Durkin, the mayor of Seattle is now facing a recall from the people uh, that are slightly farther left than she is, which uh, I mean, given that she is, yeah, one one foot in communism already. Um, the people farther to the left are only in Seattle. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> and 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 she's not being recalled because she aided terrorists. She's being recalled because she didn't help them enough. Well, and people don't understand the federal system we have in the United States. They really don't, because everybody that's blaming Trump for not doing enough when it comes to COVID. Then say, well, don't come into my city and do this. Well, you can't have it both ways. They don't understand how all this stuff works. They don't understand that the local mayor is not going to keep out federal authorities. Sorry, not <laughs> going to happen. I, I mean, she can order the cops to clash with them. And, and there I mean, there will be things. But ultimately, Trump has more troops. Yeah, he has more <laughs> troops. And the way the system is set up, the federal government isn't I mean, really supposed to worry about local stuff unless things go poorly. And when no. things go poorly, that's when they go in. And, 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 you know, to Trump's credit, he waited two months waiting for the local people to sort this out because it isn't the federal government's business to be sorting out and what the garbage that happens locally. That is, in fact, local police's job. And the only reason why federal troops are even in this equation is because local police either aren't doing their job or are being prevented from doing their job by activist mayors. And this is, this is a story happening all over the damn place. Yeah. The police want to do their jobs. And uh, most the of mayors them do, say, yeah. don't go in. You know, crazy, it's, it's crazy nuts. thing. Most police being people are perfectly fine. People they're, they're There's perfectly fine people on both sides. You know how that works. <laughs> but, the the majority of the police are sitting here going, I want to restore law and order and I want to do what's right for the community and I want people to stop getting hurt. But there's so much politics in the way. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and speaking of police, while I was investigating the recall, I made the mistake of of uh, dropping into the search engine uh, Washington State recall petition and uh, came across a couple others. Um, so uh, I, I've talked about uh, the recall, which apparently we are now going to get a special election. They got enough signatures to try to recall Adam Fortney in Snohomish County, Washington, who is the sheriff who said on Facebook that he would not uh, he would not enforce any unconstitutional orders. 
And that was them's fighting words. That was uh, <laughs> that's enough. insanity in Washington. That was enough to get uh, at least uh, 70, 30, 40, 50, 70. I don't know. how. I don't know how many signatures they gathered, but it was enough for them to put together a recall petition. And 70,000 of my closest neighbors are now saying, what do you mean you won't enforce unconstitutional rules? Get rid of him. Put in somebody who can, you know, stomp on the heads better. I, I don't know. But, but those are the uh, people that call the president a fascist. Um, let's see. Uh, the sheriff of Thurston County, which is is like three counties south of here. It is. It's where Olympia is, the state capital. Um, Thurston County Sheriff is now facing a recall uh, because he <laughs> said on Facebook that uh, it, he said that he wasn't going to instruct his deputies to enforce Inslee's mask order because it wasn't practical and they didn't have enough manpower. Recall! Get that guy well, out! Mean, How dare he not enforce the mask order? So Well, it's it's similar to what goes on with all these gun laws and, in places like Chicago. And, and in mean, the same article, by the way, he said we highly recommend that everybody wear masks because this, 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 and it, I mean, you know, bad science that we all know about, but he, he said, you really need to wear a mask, but we are not going to be bringing criminal charges because we don't have the manpower. There's too many people not doing it. And they're recalling right. him for it. I mean, that's it just, that's insanity, which is the problem with all of these mask ordinances is trying to enforce is a big reason why the system is just going to collapse if you try to do it, because you really have your cops and whoever yeah. you have out there, you know, trying to keep people from, you know, daring to walk around without a mask. That's using manpower. Oh, I'm sorry. That's that's a sexist uh, statement. <laughs> um, but you're you're not putting those resources where they're actually needed. And then people do die. And, you know, actual criminals are left to run wild, looting and uh, setting things on fire because all of your law enforcement people are going around going, oh, your mask isn't on your nose. Yeah. Well, see, politicians live in a world where reality need not apply. They can just imagine that the world is is the idealist, idealized, ideological bullshit that they have in their heads and then issue laws and edicts and proclamations trying to describe the world as they believe it should be. And police are in the unenviable position of being in the intersection of the fantasy world that the politicians live in and the regular world where this stuff is, you know, it's not only trampling people's rights, it's, it's pissing them off to the point where, you know, we cops are under attack have been for months. Uh, and more importantly, the, the the politicians are just issuing edicts left and right that are literally impossible. Like, go enforce that everybody must wear a slave covering on their face. Right. Without having any clue what each covering is, which is a big part that makes me laugh because they go, well, any cloth face covering is fine when the reality is there are materials out there. I'm sure that you can make masks out of that lit ninety nine point nine percent of air in and out but it looks like you have yeah. a mask on but it like, would be doing nothing like fishing net <laughs> yeah i mean really pantyhose i don't know some some kind of open mesh really yeah i if, mean that's if you exactly the tobacco problem juice through it then then it probably is letting your air in <laughs> yeah you would think so i don't and know i'm kind of feeling like some of the people that are 
are pushing hardest for these masks. What they really just need is a mask that is and is strong enough to block the virus entirely, like uh, Saran wrap. Just right. wrap that around your mouth and nose. And every time that you feel this irrational fear of a virus that isn't even out in the summer and feel like through that fear, you want to stomp on everybody else's rights to go about and live their lives. What you just need to do is cover your face very tightly in something that doesn't admit any air and until you calm down. This is not actual well, advice from grumpy old Ben's. I don't recommend people go out and commit suicide, no matter how fucking stupid you have to be in order to follow this advice. But goddamn people, what the hell? Well, yeah, because the virus is out there, but I don't think there's any question about that. But how you want to deal with it, totally different. Our buddy Earl Walkman just sent me a screenshot of a ticket for a race, you know, auto racing in uh, in Ohio. And it's it's fantastic. A health assessment and temperature check will be conducted by Mid-Ohio staff. If it's greater than 100.4, you won't be allowed entry. All okay. staff will be wearing what? masks and gloves. And then masks are required to be worn at all times, may, may I, whether may indoor ask, or outdoors. What is the outdoor temperature in Ohio right now? Because 104 <laughs> doesn't seem like that re- unreasonable right now. Yeah, what happens when the temperature outside gets over to 104? Then like it if, won't if be, you if you, you don't know, have like your built-in air conditioning working, you're you're out of there. Also, yeah. um, are they are are they conducting the air that you know if if they're that concerned about air quality, are they also like forcing all of the cars to use catalytic converters to make sure that nobody gets any carbon monoxide? And I mean, because well, no, carbon are monoxide much, is okay. Those are much bigger health issues than than a flu virus in the summer. And social distancing is required between all family units. Uh, no, <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I That's mean, I, I an outdoor. I've social distanced from my family because I they annoy me, but <laughs> that's within your family unit. Yes. But yeah, this is where we're going to, you know, wear your mask at all times outdoors. And it doesn't make sense. I mean, there's more and more proof that this stuff is aerosolized, including the one study which said taller people get it more because, you know, I guess we're up in the rarefied air. And, yeah. Uh, well, it's because it's it's colder and less humid up there. I don't know. And then Fauci saying, wear goggles, man. You got to have goggles now. If you want to be 100% safe, you need the goggles, which also says aerosolized. You know, if there's somebody in this country who needs a fucking muzzle on his face. (laughs) Wear goggles. Yeah. (laughs) Over your nose and mouth. This will be the next thing. I mean, full hazmat suits to go out, I think, soon for everybody. That could be our exit strategy. No, that's not that is not economically feasible. They're just going to require that everybody knit their own out of yarn like they have with masks. I don't get it. It's like those things are not effective. We saw the video of Adam Curry who exhaled his vape through a uh, one of those gators that they have over at No Agenda Shop. And it just goes right through. And I saw a guy actually inhaling and exhaling his vape. And it's like it does nothing. It's like good thing we're wearing these. I don't get it. You know, I understand it's a uh, doing a small percentage of blocking things, but not enough. If this stuff is aerosolized and every new thing that comes out seems to prove it is aerosolized more than just on the larger droplets, larger droplets, you can make the case that masks would stop. But if it is aerosolized, then no mask you're wearing is fine, because as long as the air goes through it, I mean, it's like you said. 
saran wrap. As long as you can breathe, it's going in. It's going out. I, I, I'm just, I mean, some of these mask holes, I, I'm just not sure that them continuing to breathe is, is in the best interest of the country. But, but, but the, I'm not actually recommending people die. I mean, it's going to happen, but oh. <laughs> now, here's the question. You see, you know, none of these local authorities can handle these types of things like enforcing who's wearing masks. But is that where big tech comes in? I certainly hope not. The, the writing seems to be on the wall because the government all of a sudden is doing a little bit of arm twisting, whether they That's can do anything or does. not. You know, this yeah. the one thing you take away, and this is people on both sides of the aisle. I don't care what your political ideology was. I saw people with radically different political viewpoints responding to what was going on with the CEOs, these and other people from Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon, you know, the usual, the big, the big ones, though. I mean, you had Zuck yeah. and you had Bezos, you know, and you had uh, Patel. You had all these guys there. And people on both sides of the aisle had one response, which was, wouldn't it be nice if the people in our government understood technology? (laughs) And it's like, (laughs) yes, yeah, it would. I I missed the entire C-SPAN ordeal that was the the tech giants uh, quite intentionally. Uh, I I, I thought about maybe catching up and then I was like, no, no, they'll talk about it on no agenda. They'll talk about other places. And Darren will probably bring it to the show. I don't I don't want to know. It is a massive ignorance of technology coming from our elected officials. And unfortunately, yeah. they're the ones making the laws. So you mean like the attorney general who still seems to think that it's possible to create encryption that only the government has keys to? Well, there that is possible to do that, but no, the. <laughs> You know, it's no. Well, no, it's possible because I can create an encryption that only I have the keys to. But then yeah, the concept that that's never going to get out—that's a different story. Yeah, that—that's but the, that's not inherent to the encryption algorithm. That's it, inherent to your secrecy. Right, right. No, well, that's and having a back door is basically and, having and, a key. Yeah, and the government works. is is about as good at keeping secrets as that that neck gator is at preventing a virus from going through. Right. It's going to do everything you need it to do. But the questions that these guys from the big tech companies got were just one laughable. And two, these guys just got time to talk. And the opening statements were enough to make me just want to turn this thing off because they gave each one of these guys five minutes and they all basically did a commercial (laughs) for their product. Yeah. And they all pandered to, you know, We'd like to yeah. uh, send our deepest sympathies for, you know, the the death of John you know, Lewis. The, well, that was his name, right? I'm blanking out here. The the congressman that just passed away. Whatever. And it was right down the line. It was all the same script. You know, I mean, Google, we do everything we can to protect our customers privacy. And then they're asking them very specific questions. And all of a sudden Patel's like, I'm not familiar with that congressman. I don't or whatever. But he's just like, no, I'm not familiar with that. And I mean, there's no question that big tech they have access and the ability to really mess with small businesses yeah uh they they have the ability to mess with big businesses but since the big businesses pay their paycheck it you know the the favors go both ways 
it, it is funny how the you know the CEO walks up and his job is is to say two things out of different sides of his face. And one is is please don't regulate us. We'll make more money if you don't. And the other is oh by the way, uh, you know if you've got any government contracts, we'll write tech for you. Well, yeah, Google's like, hey, you know what? We have a camera on everybody's cell phone that is running you know, between Apple and Google. They've got what, 90, how many percent? Who, what's left besides Apple and Google running in the United States on their phones? Like one percent, maybe I less. Is our Windows way, phone way still around? I mean, you're at that point, you're looking at things like lineage and uh, the, the open source AOSP stuff. So well over 90 percent. And they could go, you know what? Every one of these phones have cameras on the front and on the back. You want us to see who's wearing their masks? We can do that for you. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh-huh. Yeah. You don't th- well, you know what the possibility I, is I, there. I know the possibility um and uh, I as if I needed another reason to keep this piece of garbage in the drawer. You know, and I back in the 90s when we were looking at all of the possibilities, all of the amazing things that technology could bring us I I think we were blinded a little bit because it is absolutely incredible to be able to carry a supercomputer in your pocket with all of these sensors. But I at least did not pick up on the idea that every technological advance for the next 20 years was going to be completely soured by fucked up draconian authoritarian business models that are uh, it it completely screws the value. You know, I, I don't care how awesome it is to be able to talk to my wall and have it turn lights on. If it means that I'm going to lose a chunk of my humanity doing it, it's not worth it. And back then I was looking at this going, look at all of these amazing things that technology is going to be able to do in the next 20 years. And on that list, it, I never picked up on, you know, things like, Look at the amazing way technology is going to fucking sell me out to the biased bidder. <laughs> well, yeah, you are the product that your data is now way more, way more useful than we ever thought of 20, 30 years ago. That was just never thought of that. would It would be a thing that you would be the product that these companies would be in business to do almost nothing more than scrape data from you and sell it to other companies. And that's why all these, we have another story today, all the bunch of databases that have leaked. But the intriguing thing when this internet stuff started was like everything, pie in the sky, this is going to be an equalizer. This was going to help the mom and pop kind of stores compete with the big bad Walmarts at the time. I mean, this was before, you know, Amazon was a thing. And the concept was the internet was going to be an equalizer and it was going to allow people to compete, even if you didn't have a whole lot of money behind you. And what we've seen happen fairly quickly is the internet market become completely overrun and controlled by a handful of groups. So what happened to this promise? One of those groups is the bureaucrats who you're saying they should understand tech. I think that they understand tech exactly the wrong amount because back in the nineties, they didn't understand the internet at all. And it wasn't a thing. And it was glorious. It's a series it was, of tubes. It, sir. it was the only, it, it was, it was the closest I've ever been in my life. Having grown up in industrialized bureau, bureaucratic Western society 
the nineties internet was the closest I've ever come to living in an anarchy because it was unregulated. It was people just did what they wanted. And I mean, yeah, there were some things that were dangerous, but for the, I mean, I don't know. I, I have a lot of nostalgia for that period. And somewhere along the line, uh, governments, for example, started waking up and going, Hey, if we regulate this, we can, you know, bring in more tax money. And then, Oh yeah. Once you get governments involved, they're the only ones who actually have the ability to enforce the creation of a monopoly. And, you know, so big companies became bigger and little companies get driven out of business and congratulations, you get crony capitalism, just like everywhere else. Um, I do have a a story though, um, about that sort of thing happening, uh, Right now, it's uh, Australia using Facebook and Google as their uh, scapegoats for everything that's wrong with the Internet. <laughs> well, aren't they? Um, I mean, we've said as much on this show, uh, but I, I, OK, so this story is. It's really, really hard to decide which side to root for when they're both thoroughly despicable. Um, so the story is that uh, back in 2019, a bunch of uh, journalists, and I'm using air quotes here, in Australia decided that Google is using their stories and making money off of it without their permission, and that Google uh, and Facebook, Google and Facebook are the two companies mentioned here, uh, they are making money off of the backs of these poor journalists who are doing all the work to create the content that Google is monetizing. And therefore these big Silicon Valley companies need to be paying reparations to the journalists in Australia. Uh, this, this might sound familiar by the way. Um, Spain tried to do it in 2014. Uh, France tried to do it in 2013. Germany tried to do it in 2015, but abandoned when they found out what happened to Spain. I'll get to that later. But um, yeah, so in this case, the Australia government ordered the Silicon Valley companies to come to a voluntary agreement to pay Australian media companies. It turns out that's not economical. And so they didn't come to an agreement. Does this surprise you? No, and this is all over just linking in, right? Because Google yeah. doesn't take their story and repost it. No, Google is is Google is providing a search engine. They yes. they're providing well, they're I mean they're they're monetizing the search links because they're putting advertising out there, which means it's not just a, an innocent index. It's Google is makes their money by monetizing all information created by any. Guess what, Australia journalists, you're not unique. Google is making money on all of us, but anyways, um, yeah. So the Australian government has ordered them to come to arbitration. That's the current stage. And if 45 days pass, they're talking about putting in legislation that says that Google is required to pay and Facebook to pay Australian journalist companies, uh, in, in order to use their content. Uh, this is, a terrible idea on so many ways, but let me, let me first. Well, because do they even go into defining and understanding what use their content means? Uh, not really. See, the thing is there's right now, the, the law itself is only in a draft because they're not going to, they're not going to use it. If, if we can, you know, if, if arbitration can come to a conclusion, which it won't. 
Right. They want the arbitration so things can go away quietly, because otherwise yeah. I'm thinking the answer here would be set up a robots.txt file that says Google can't look at my stuff. Well, and uh, then it probably will stop. So when this happened in Spain, Spain passed a law in 2014 that said uh, it, which was over exactly the same issue. It said that Google News was stealing the content of Spanish journalists. And they passed a law that said in order for Google to use content from Spanish's or Spain's journalism, you know, their, their news out media outlets, uh, Google was required to pay a fee in order to use that content. That was a Spanish law passed in 2014. Um, Google immediately shut down Google news in Spain. They just blocked all incoming <laughs> links from those IPs. And about a year later, the Spanish media companies were saying, uh, we had a 90% drop in, in links and in traffic overnight. We're dying here. Please rescind right. this law. Well, yeah, they do have a symbiotic relationship. Google drives the traffic to them. Yeah, I, I hate to come out on Google's side on any of this, but yeah, the, this is the side of, of capitalism, of voluntary agreements. Google, you know, if, if these, Google is not stealing content at all. They are, there's, there's a voluntary agreement. You put this out there and we send you traffic. And yes. it, it might not, you know, not everybody might be happy with that, but that's kind of how it works. And so I guarantee that if this goes too far in Australia, then you're going to see large chunks of, of Google and Facebook shut down in Australia. And, you know, funny thing, the, the news results, they're just not going to point to any Australian outlets. Yeah. And that'll kill them. But just, I mean, the interesting thing to me is, again, we were sold on the fact that all of these different companies, all of these different websites would be able to compete with each other. And what has happened is that Google has become ubiquitous with search. So I just pulled up just to give you an example. I just pulled up the website that I do for my friend's restaurant, little breakfast place here in the Chicago area. And over the last 30 days, I'm looking at the analytics here. They had in the last month, 1,377 hits from a search engine search. Out of that 1,377, how many do you think came from Google? Do you want to even give me a guess? Out of uh, the 1,377, <laughs> that would be more than 1,377. Uh, okay, well, it wasn't a very good guess then. <laughs> but you're close. 1,284 of the 1,377 came from Google, then 58 from Bing, 21 from Yahoo, and 15 from DuckDuckGo, and one from ask.com so somebody's still using ask.com but that's amazing you know what i applaud that person uh you, you are <laughs> suffering through really crappy search results in order to not propagate the google monopoly but this i think shows i mean people can say well yeah you got bing and there's DuckDuckGo, and there are competitors but a vast majority of the public uses google and i don't know if that's because they don't know anything else exists and that may be the truth or they think Google has the best search results, that may be well, true. That, that's that is arguably true. Yeah. So, you know, what can you but, but it's, do? It's getting worse now that they're promoting ads to the top slot. Yeah, well, they have been for a while, you yeah. know, and that's the uh, intriguing I, I thing, too. To, I haven't been to Google for a while. Yeah. 
you're not missing. I haven't either. I switched to DuckDuckGo about six months ago as the defaults in every browser I use. And I have to say, I do not miss the Google search. DuckDuckGo does fine. In most cases, it's not even people making the conscious decision to to use Google or use anything. Most people don't even care that they're going to a search engine. What they want is they have a, a, a thing in their hand that they're like, you know, I, I want this thing. And you type in or even speak the thing you want and the device in their hand will go get it for you. And they don't care what search engines use. They don't care what, what, you know, what company is providing that technology. They just know that, you know, if, if I search for you know, Asian nudes, then Asian nudes pop up on my phone screen. And so the most powerful thing in the, in the news entire, in Asia, uh, I, I'm not specifying what, and in fact, you know, uh, Hey, Hey Siri, show me some porn, Alexa to search for goat sex. I don't know. Try <laughs> That'll to take mess, you right to the no agenda show. Use their stupid talking tubes. Uh, but the most powerful thing in, in search engines is the default, whatever, right. whatever default your device is set up to use, which in most people's case is their phone, their phone runs Android and Android is always going to default to Google. Then that is how you get your searches done. That is exactly what Progo pointed out in the troll room that companies pay big money to be the default search engines. And maybe that's the well, real problem. Yeah. Well, that's the real problem then is that the traffic is being funneled to one source through, you know, everybody that makes a phone or whatever, whoever they're paying off when it comes down to this. I'm guessing every phone manufacturer can choose what their default is. But if you're, uh, you know, if you're running Android, does does anybody have an Android phone that doesn't default to Google search? Well, I I don't run the browser that's handed to me with my Android phone, so I get to use that's true, too. How many like that would be another question, I guess, for non dudes named Ben, the average person. Do they even know that there are more than one browser? You know, you just don't have to no. use the one that comes uh, with again, your machine. This, this is my window to the Internet. I don't care how I get there. It just. Get, get me there. Most people do not care. And and that's a rational decision on the part of most people. But the the it's. The the technology involved and and the fact that it's leading you know, one company or a you know a small monopoly of companies to completely destroy the market, you know, I mean the yes, the, and- the only thing that the only person the only group that can destroy Google's monopoly is Google, and the the only way they do that is by making the experience bad enough that people start switching and. For me, I hit that point a long time ago. For for Grumpy Old Ben's listeners, I feel like you should be there by now. But for the general public, I mean, Google's trying. And before I close this window out with all the stats here for my friend's restaurant, you're absolutely right. 79% of the traffic coming from mobile, 3% on tablets, 18% on desktops, which is which is intriguing. It really is when you look at it by browser, mobile safari. 60 percent so obviously a lot of yeah. uh, iphone people like this restaurant there's no doubt about it uh, is it is, wait is the restaurant really expensive it's well it's more it's a it's a, a not super expensive but it's certainly not a cheap breakfast place it's a step up 
from okay. a normal, just greasy breakfast I, I'm, place. I'm just trying to correlate the, you know, it, a, Apple, Apple devices are characteristic of people who have uh, more money than f- f- fiscal sense. Uh, people who, yeah. people who, for whatever reason, have a lot of money, they don't mind throwing away. And the evidence of that is that you bought a phone for three times the price of, of what it's worth. Um, congratulations. You've just been stereotyped. <laughs> and uh, I mean, they've been written up in Chicago magazine for their uh, cinnamon toast, French toast. Uh, they were on one of these Chicago TV things where they go to the best restaurants for their yeah, I'm, uh, huevos I'm need, rancheros. I'm, I'm going to need more than your word for this. You're going to have to send me some of that now. It is delicious. And, and by operating system for the so this is even better. iOS. 64% of the traffic for to their website comes from iOS, 17 from Android, 12 from Windows, 5 from Mac OS, 1% others. So maybe somebody's okay. using Linux. I don't yeah, know. Somebody, you know, somebody logged in on an Amiga. Uh-huh. This is, 64. Uh, and they needed a breakfast fix. I don't know. But it's interesting when you look at this kind of stuff, when you go, well, you know, no, people can compete with Google. And then you look at the traffic results and it's like, to every 1,200 search results from Google, there's like 50 from Bing and then five from everybody else. So I want to I want to I'm, I'm still on the Australia story. I want to feed you a little bit of hyperbole. Are you ready? Surely. OK, it um, won't be as tasty as the cinnamon so toast. French I, I toast. I don't know but. if this is and I don't know if this is a, a government position or not, but it said Australian treasurer Josh Frydenberg. It made, made me feel like Australia was, uh, you know, a. a like intramural club or something. They have a treasurer, but uh, maybe that's it. But anyways, uh, so this is the guy who was interviewed for the article and uh, he had some really choice lines, like nothing less than the future of the Australian media landscape is at stake. (laughs) Or uh, it's about a fair go for Australian news media businesses. It's about ensuring that we have increased competition, increased consumer protection, and a sustainable media landscape. You're in the government. You have no fucking idea what competition is. Government doesn't increase. There, there is no, you know, there, there's a lot of things a government can do, but increasing competition is never one of them. In fact, the only tool that a government has, every single government action is to restrict fair competition, is to restrict the ability of people to go out and choose what they're working with. Governments do not increase competition in anything that they do. Now, there's a lot of talk about, well, what if there's a monopoly? Okay, first of all, the vast majority of monopolies were created by a government. But so so the way that you increase competition is stop regulating this industry so much that only one player can be at the top. But anyway, uh, you, uh, you know what? Enough with the rant. Uh, governments do not increase competition the best you can possibly do is try to punish somebody who gets into a monopoly position governments are really good at punishing things um there's no guarantee that's gonna anyway uh so going on uh this guy also said uh that he he cited a study from 2019 um i i checked three different articles on this one and i could not find this study but the study estimated 3000 journalism jobs were lost in the last 10 years in Australia citation needed but uh the the thing that blew me away about this is and this is exactly the same thing we've seen in the states uh is the 
idea. And of course, you know, the reason this is propagated is because it's being propagated by journalists in news stories. But the idea that there is some kind of exceptionalism that, oh, well, you know, the we we need our type of journalism to last forever. That that's not how competition works. That's not how uh, business works in general. If if your product sucks balls and nobody takes it, you are not entitled to then go petition the government. Can you please save our failing business model? Well, right. And the last I've seen uh, are Google or Facebook intentionally blocking access to these no. newspaper sites because no. Google, here's the thing. Google and Facebook the way- are, are linking to. In fact, Facebook doesn't even link to them. Like Facebook allows its own users to link to these things. Right. To post a story. Because here's the thing. When it comes to news sites, let me give you the whole load here. There are a handful of tech news sites that I like, including bleepingcomputer.com, thehackernews.com. You know, I don't go to Google searching for tech stories and then go, oh, look, there's the bleeping computer. I go to the bleepingcomputer.com, open the site and read it. That's what people do. If you like the Chicago Tribune here in Chicago and they're a holy crap rag, but if you like their stuff. You just bookmark it and you go direct and you read the news for your locality. I do hate to break this to you, but you're you're kind of being anachronistic here. You're you're kind of showing your age. People don't do that. You do. Boomers do that. Oh, no. (laughs) Going to read websites that you like, you bookmark them and you go to them. Well, no, what I what I'm saying is that the way most people do is they don't you know, they don't go to Google either. What they do is they they actually do the same kind of research I do throughout the week, which is. You you watch your feed scroll by you know, most people on their Facebook or wherever. This is why Facebook is involved here. Uh, me, it's on No Agenda Social, and when somebody through word of mouth links something that's interesting to me, then I'll go read the article. Now, now me, I, I also go above. You know, if if I see an article about Chinese seeds, then I will go out to uh, to Bing News. By the way, because fuck Google. Um, and I will look up several other articles on that story, but it, it it's not until I've already consumed before I really think about what media outlet it is. And this actually saves me from one of the most annoying types of bias that I see on 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 sites like Reddit, where somebody you'll you'll send somebody a link, and be like, this article is really fascinating, really makes me think, and they'll look at it, and be like. Nope, sorry, that's from Breitbart. Those are white right wing assholes. I'm never going to read it. Like, <laughs> well, what? see now that was the big news this sorry, week. I, I was... will even read a CNN article if it's good. Turns out most of them aren't. But I, do, well, Breitbart, I, I, there's a, there's a whole explosive series of articles over there on how Google has been silencing them, how they've been disappearing from the search results. Of course, and it's interesting when you see the graphs of. You know, X amount of years ago, their traffic was this and now it's this. It's like, huh, there's no doubt about it. Google is messing with the results and Google is taking the websites that they don't like and making them disappear. There's no question about that. Because the evidence was there that says this wasn't happening organically. This wasn't just something that, uh, you know, the traffic was going down because whatever people were doing searches for specific stuff Breitbart had just not showing up. So, so 
I'm going to take one more attempt to get through my notes on this AU article because I think I, I honestly think that this this is going to be huge and it's it's going to be like the next several months. This is going to be the big. I, you, this theoretically has the potential to seriously hurt the Silicon Valley companies. Uh, but I, I mentioned Josh Frydenberg of Australia as the the person who is who's being interviewed and is is definitely spouting the most hyperbole about this. Um, I- interestingly, uh, in the proposed legislation, it will in fact be Frydenberg's office who decides which companies are it applies to, and uh, the the draft legislation or the uh, not legislation what whatever they call it in Australia. Uh, the draft said, I, I think they called it a code said, um, you know, that it will be the uh, treasurer's office that decides which companies are required to pay and which companies are uh, whose content they'll use. Uh, now, he has guidelines that say that companies which will you know, Google will have to pay for, uh, quote, must predominantly create and publish news in Australia serving an Australian audience subject to professional editorial standards and editorial independence from the subject of the news coverage with revenue exceeding 150,000 per year. Um, and then they specifically exclude, by the way, for any of you Australians, they exclude the government funded uh, state run media, ABC and SBS saying, well, they don't need the funds, uh, which by the way, representatives from a uh, ABC Australian broadcasting company have definitely been gone on record saying, well, yes, we totally do want the funds. There's a shocker. Uh, oh, and uh, the other thing I came across is that the, the primary person pushing this legislation, not somebody from ABC. Uh, no, it's uh, it's news Corp AU. It's Rupert Murdoch. Just, just in case you needed to you know throw out the name of some elite. Um, well, he's not around anymore. The boys are running it and they're the libs. Yeah, he's still around. He's just as he, he's just as around as Soros and Epstein. They, they just they get a new host body every dozen years or so. But anyways, um, let's see the I, I wanted to pick apart the uh, the the choice of which business. Um, OK, predominantly create and publish news in Australia, serving an Australian audience. That's that's standard stuff uh, subject to professional editorial standards. What the hell does that mean? I don't know, but I don't think any media lately or journalistic. I, I, I feel like Grumpy has Old Ben's has professional editorial standards. We get paid. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, editorial independence from the subject of the news coverage. So they, they, they're, they're only going to apply this to companies whose editorial is not affected by their advertising. Is that I, so nobody's going to get it. Read that one again. Uh, it, it they they're only going to be have a uh, the quote is editorial independence from the subject of the news coverage. Well, I mean that makes Meaning sense. I mean, that, so it's it's not as long as you're not producing a news release about a, your company or something. Yeah. Then in other words, would, if you're not producing native ads, right? You, if if you put out uh you know a, an ad for McDonald's that is a native ad, then and they pay you for it, then. Congratulations, you've lost your editorial independence from the subject, but I'm, I'm just saying nobody qualifies for that. But then the one that bothered me the most is with revenue exceeding 150000 per year. This is tailored legislation for the big companies. 
They are excluding all of you know, the, the most quality journalism today we've already covered comes from blogs. It, it comes from very small outlets. It, I mean, honestly, the, the Babylon Bee is producing better quality journalism than most of the mainstream, and they are admittedly fake. But um, it, it, why? Why would even the idea that you. If, if you set your legislation to say this only applies to companies with revenue exceeding 150,000 per year, you are absolutely picking favorites and you are you are bought and paid for by the big people. This this is well, how, isn't it the opposite, because this is letting the smaller publishers get away with whatever they want. Right. No, no. What it's doing is it's saying that Google can steal the smaller publishers content with impunity uh, from from their perspective. Uh, it's saying that Google doesn't have to pay small publishers. Google only has to pay big publishers. It's saying that big publishers content is somehow more worthy of getting uh, of getting revenue than small publishers. And this is it, all very confusing because what are they actually paying for the ability just to scrape to, and link back to the site? The ability to link to the site. The, uh, Australia wants Google and Facebook to pay. Australian media companies, but only privately owned Murdoch owned Australian media companies that are already really big. Wants Google and Facebook to pay them every time that they link to them. Now, here's another time when I point out the fact that the Internet is global. So (laughs) if I start a website in the United States or Panama, maybe even better, that is doing nothing but curating Australian news then what can they do uh well um they 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 can bluster a lot uh or they can block the website i guess they they can try to block the website Uh, you know i tell you what though if if this goes through as a law uh australia is not gonna have to block google news google will do it (laughs) well they'll be all down for the clown yeah and uh yeah the The, uh, let's see, the other requirements that Australia wants to put on Google and Facebook is uh, they must provide news media outlets with information about news related data. So apparently, uh, okay, here, here's a link to Google.com. They have to, let's see, prohibit platforms from discriminating against AU media and outlets covered with fines. This is actually the enforcement part. Uh, they say if if Google shuts down Google News, then that is discriminating against Australian media outlets that are covered and Australia will find Google. And at some point, you know, yet yeah, yes, it's global. But if Google wants to continue doing business in Australia, which is I mean, that's a market that's almost as big as, say, the state of Ohio. Um, well, the question is, are, does Google make enough money? to yes. warrant paying this to them or what's the difference between just shutting them off well, from the, the news coverage the there Google and of 2014 would have completely shut off Australia. I don't know what the Google of today is going to do. Uh, they, I mean, obviously the people who drafted this stuff, the, the lobbyists who drafted this stuff uh, saw what happened in Spain and decided to put in the, the punishment clause saying, well, in it, the, I mean, the, the article points out that even if, Google shuts down Google News. They've still got ads on search and on YouTube, which is absolutely true. And that cuts right to the heart of Google's business model. At at some point, you know, Google can get out of this scot free if they just stop putting ads on every piece of content that covers their platform. But they're not going to do that because that's their bread and butter. 
So I'm not well, really even sure. More what- interesting to me is the Facebook portion, because that means if an Australian citizen posts a link to a story in Australia, then even Facebook if that publisher. Yeah, well, even if that publisher doesn't want to be a part of this, then I don't get it. Well, it's, it, I, it makes no sense. I it it does. Well, they, I mean, if the publishers are are covered by this, then that means that they lobbied josh frydenberg to please can you put me on a special list of of companies that you've decided are too big to fail and i i think that i i, I don't know uh oh the the last requirement that this new law will put on uh google and facebook and this one i this one feels like the biggest deal breaker because nobody gets this privilege um google is required to provide 28 days of notice if of any algorithm changes to the covered media outlets, <laughs> nobody wow, gets yeah. that. <laughs> no. Well, and they make the changes and they don't know when they're going to be implemented. I mean, they test the stuff and then you think they're going to be like, okay, we'll sit on this for a month to do what? I mean, again, this is just a question of people wanting to game a system and it's like, screw that. I, yeah. Everything about this story disgusts me. There are no there are no good actors here. Google has grown too big and taken over too much and using their monopoly powers to seriously. I mean, they are, in fact, crushing journalists and, and new media outlets, uh, you know, but on the other hand, there's the Australian media outlets who uh, here's the deal. Uh, let me let me give you the whole load. Um, if you need this legislation in order to do well financially your business model is a failure and you deserve to go out of business i, I protectionism is distasteful at all times and then you know the other actor in this is is this the the australian government and this this treasurer dipshit who you know uh, obvious power grab he's like i would like for my office to take control of a large chunk of the internet. Thanks. Well, that, there's no conflict of interest there. He's the one pushing for it. And he's also the one who is going to become the most powerful person on the internet in Australia. You're being fact-checked in the troll room from Jeff. And I think he might be right. Cause he said, uh, am I missing something? I thought products like Google's amp were what the news outlets didn't like. Not that Google is just linking into their sites, which makes sense. Cause I don't get it. The well, traffic they, they, comes from Google. So you're they're mad that Google is sending them traffic. It doesn't make sense. Well, no, it the, the it's the it's the equality idea that that is going on here. Uh it's the idea of uh you know, we uh, it, it's it's the kind of idea that you would get in a college journalism class that that you know spreads like wildfire because I want mine. Uh you know, here, here's here's the rationale. I am doing all of the work to create all of this news content, and all you're doing is linking to it, and you are taking the content that I've created, and you're putting ads on it, and you're making money on my effort. And also, I'm a socialist, and require that that as the worker in this equation, that I get all of the profit. And screw you, you capitalist. See, that doesn't make sense unless they read the whole article without going to the publisher's site. Oh, like, and I, know, I, mean, I don't people, know exactly how we, we, Apple we already News know works. I know Apple has read. an app 
in their uh, on the iPad, guessing on the phone where you can scroll through and like read news stories, which I'm not sure how that's all curated or whatnot. I mean, I can understand being upset about that, but I don't understand being upset if people are sending you traffic. That doesn't make sense. Well, it doesn't make rational sense. It, it, it rational. It's like I'm speaking. going to sue you. To, I don't want any more traffic. Let me go broke. Well, they're not thinking about traffic. They're thinking about I wrote this beautiful masterpiece that everybody wants to read. And right, but without Google, Google is, nobody would see it. Right. Well, well, okay. First of all, we we you understand that the most the vast majority of people don't bother reading an article; they only read the headline. That and is if, true, and and uh, you know that that's a pretty rational thing on the part of of the people reading because the state of journalism is so bad these days that all of the useful information is in the headline, and when you click in, all no, you usually not. get is. <laughs> Well, it, okay. it's usually completely inaccurate in the headline. Well, no, no, I'm not. Okay. Like, I misspoke when I said useful. All of the information that most people care about is in the headline. Ah, yes. They, they will read with. the headline and they will move on. And I, I have to admit, I've clicked on plenty of articles where I'm, I'm like, okay, the, the, I, I clicked through and the headline had something that I probably was probably the copied out of a tweet. And the article is nothing but an opinion piece bashing the orange man. I mean, it's plenty of that out there. It, the state of journalism is such that a lot of people don't want to take the time to click into the article because you're playing roulette with it. They, the articles might be that freaking terrible that you're like, I am dumber for having read this. Well, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of journalism like that. Put journalism in air quotes, please, at home. If you're following along. I, every time I've said the word this episode, it's been in air quotes. I mean, they're saying pay for news siphoned from media companies. So I'm guessing that does mean they're actually using the article or part of the article without letting the traffic go to those companies, which makes more sense. And that is absolutely nefarious if they're doing that. It It's actually pretty hard to to dig into specifics on this particular stuff because they they're at the stage where uh, a they never reached a voluntary agreement. Surprise, surprise. And now. They are trying to go to an arbitration to try to reach a voluntary agreement. And uh, Google and Facebook have zero incentive to want to change the status quo. So I'm not really seeing that happen. But no legislation has been written yet. There's there's a draft circulating about that has some specifics, but not much. So it's hard to pin down specifics of what this would actually do, which is why I think this is going to continue to be a, a story. Which is why it goes right down the line of the government's not understanding the tech because the Business Insider article on this talks about the EU floating a possibility of what they called a link tax. So, yes, yeah, it's like link taxes don't make any sense. Yeah, you just nailed it. Governments don't have any idea how technology works and they can't and they shouldn't have to. Uh, They can't because the the job of a government is not to keep up on tech. I mean, that that's the job of a dude named Ben. And it's pretty much a full time job. It's you you don't want and uh, you know as much as some of the listeners to this show might think that that having an entire government run by dudes named Ben, I think there might be unintended consequences to that too. So I <laughs> do you think? Uh, you know, I, and obviously, so it's impossible to keep up on all the tech trends. So really, what needs to happen is that maybe the government should stay the fuck out of stuff they don't understand. Well, yeah, well, trying to regulate anything, although I get it because again. These people that started the Internet, didn't Al Gore start the Internet? I always forget. He keeps saying he did. But the concept was people that, were going to be able to compete. So 2000. <laughs> the reality is I'm old. We're grumpy old bands. What part of old 
didn't you get? But, you know, this concept that, oh, if, if it's an equal playing field for all, it's interesting when you look at what's happened, because when it comes to search engines, Google by far, when it comes to social media, you know, Facebook and Twitter when by default, Instagram, which is part of Facebook now, control a vast majority of it. I mean, I guess you have TikTok. So that is one place a newbie can come in and compete. But when it comes to even things like commerce, Amazon rules the roost because they were there first, which is really intriguing. eBay, the same kind of way. And I know we have Walmart.com who's trying to compete now, and they seem like they're trying to go after Amazon Prime, which I'm sitting here going, you know, how how many years has Amazon Prime went out? You guys are finally coming around to the fact that maybe you want to try competing with that. But I mean, I guess Walmart and all these big box stores just have been doing business as usual for so long that that's how they got behind the eight ball. But the, well, the, the competition concept, I don't know if that's even a reality online. The the big box stores let Amazon get big because they completely failed to see the fundamental shift in the way people were consuming goods happening. Right. Oh, it's like Blockbuster. Didn't Blockbuster have the opportunity to buy Netflix at one point for yeah. a few mil? Yeah. <laughs> and 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 that is that is evidence of an old business model uh does not it and it, the what oh, what's it called the the innovators dilemma uh comes to mind here. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No, I don't think um, so. Well, it, it has to do with with shifting technologies and and shifting paradigms in business. And it has to do with the idea that uh, big businesses, you know, they, they have the advantage of being big and having a lot of money that they can throw at failing ideas in order to change. But when a paradigm shift comes to an industry, which they it does happen, uh, a big business is at a severe disadvantage because it is critically necessary that they protect their revenue streams. And that means embracing the old paradigm, which is the one that got them big. And what, what happens is when you are a big business, it is very difficult when you were embracing the old paradigm to also simultaneously embrace a new paradigm which is going to be which is critically necessary to survive the other side of the shift but the new paradigm will always start to eat into the old one and so you know if if you're especially if your company is a corporation where you have you're legally obligated to be run by bean counters uh when they say oh well the you know our department that is working on this new thing is now cannibalizing the old thing and we're not making as much money and therefore we have to cancel the new thing and the this happens you know this is the reason why if if a paradigm shift happens the brand new company is at a significant advantage in that they don't have an old business to to protect and they can go all in on the new business now if if the the old the big old business tries something new and it fails then they've got more money they can throw at trying something else new Whereas if, if a small startup tries something new and it fails, congratulations, you're out of business. Uh, but it, 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 the innovators dilemma is, is kind of what this is called. It was, it was a big book that was huge about 10 years ago. Uh, the, but anyways, the idea is, is the paradox that 
the bigger you are and the more money you made with the old paradigm, the harder it is to move to the new paradigm. Right. Because you think, hey, what we've been doing, that's business as usual. That's where that comes from. What we've been doing has been successful. So if we change that, we might screw ourselves and we don't want to change that, except the whole media landscape or the whole whatever landscape that you're dealing in is moving. And if you don't move along with it, then you're probably going to be left behind. This was this was a huge, huge book when it came out that to floating around the hallways of a company that got really, really, really big making old style desktop operating systems. And the paradigm started shifting to phones and Microsoft never got in on it. They didn't get in soon enough. They didn't go in far enough because there it was stealing resources from windows which windows was the microsoft cash cow for decades and when when the phones thing happened you know they got in too late windows phone was crap they didn't put hardly any resources in you know even in the development halls the people working on windows phones were second class citizens like oh you you know you what do you work on windows oh really a phone oh oh i'm so sorry it 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 was <laughs> it was awful and you know if if microsoft had put more resources into windows phone and pushed it even to the detriment of their giant cash cow windows. Um, we, we might have a different uh, phone landscape these days, but Microsoft completely and utterly failed in the phone market because they couldn't slot. They, they couldn't harm the cash cow, which was their desktop market. And the, these brand new startups, Google and Apple, who didn't have, well, Apple did have a desktop market, but they, they also had Steve Jobs. He was able to warp the rules of business to a, for his own ends. But Google came out and just completely destroyed because Google didn't have an old OS to, to protect. They just went right. all in on mobile. Yeah. And now you look at Google compared to Microsoft. I mean, Microsoft still is a force to be reckoned with, but it's like, oh, my God, you guys missed out big time. When it came to the mobile side of things, there's and, no question about that. And the innovators dilemma is absolutely playing out in the paradigm shift of journalism, the old journalism, where you have a newsroom full of people who go out, collect information, collate it into well-researched articles, fact check it, and then put it out on a schedule. That's the old way of doing things. The new way of doing things is that somebody discovers something, immediately tweets about it. Somebody else does a bit of research, puts out a blog. Somebody else then picks apart that blog they have a little bit of back and forth lots of people scream on twitter and eventually through you cross-referencing six or seven blogs somebody else will write a blog or maybe even an article summarizing all of the useful information that is the new way of journalism that's how people learn stuff today and the old media companies the the big mainstream companies that the the rupert murdoch's of the world news corp they're powerless in the face of this kind of decentralized model. This is the kind of, and, and more importantly, they can't possibly embrace that without cannibalizing their old news business. So that is, again, the innovator's dilemma in a paradigm shift in, in the industry. Now, in every case, when you have somebody big enough that they, you know, the, the paradigm shifted out from underneath them and their business model is now a failure. But they're big enough that they still have a crap load of money. They can make a hell of a lot of noise and do a hell of a lot of damage as they go down. And that's what you see in all of these really big businesses when their business model shifts, like the news 
uh, especially, and this is the part that I find unforgivable because everything that I've just described here is how capitalism works and, and how you end up getting the, the best for society through innovation. But the real problem is when the old guard says our business model is failing and we need the government to step in and enforce using guns to make sure that our model continues to be profitable. And now you have a government and a state coming in and putting restrictions on free trade, putting restrictions on the economy. And now you no longer get the optimal solution for society. You get the optimal solution for whoever has enough money to buy politicians. Well, and the newspaper industry is one of those. And it's like nobody buys news. Well, very few people buy newspapers. And if these industries don't pivot and do something different, they deserve to fail just like Blockbuster did. Yeah. They don't deserve to be kept around. Too, just because Too big to fail means too big to exist. Break them up in every industry, of. no matter where it is. Technology is changing. The way media is being produced is changing. The way we consume content changing on a daily basis whether that's good or not doesn't really matter because it's happening so there's really not much we can do about it but i wanted to show uh show off a website and this uh paul the book guy over on amazon don't know if he listens to grumpy old ben's or not he's a no agenda guy i don't know but i like his adam, name paul the book guy yeah. that's a that's a badass name it is and he asked if adam would ever use the website descript.com which they do it's another one of these podcasting services, but it's a little bit different because with your monthly nut and it's it's not a cheap subscription, but it's not a crazy expensive subscription. I mean, we could pay for it and the donations we're getting at Grumpy Old Ben's would even pay for it. We would just not have much money left over. But one of the things the service does is transcription, which is a very intriguing thing because we blather on for two, two and a half hours. And there's no way for people to search what we're talking about on a podcast because it's all audio. Now, this looks to change that because once you have a transcription, if it works well, and Fletcher over at the Hog Story will tell you, the Google Voice transcriptions aren't always right. So I'd be curious to try this thing out. And maybe we will because the overall technology is amazing because here's another thing that this will do with the podcast production the whole model so one if we were recording with their system right now it would do the transcription and after that was done i could go back if i was editing the podcast and you can change the audio by changing the text of the transcription this is using the technology that I talked about on my deep fakes episode, what, like a year or so ago on random thoughts, randomthoughts.com, R-A-N-D-U-M-B, thoughts.com, which was a company called Liarbird, L-Y-R-E Bird. This descript has purchased Liarbird. And once you train this, and I have not, they have a few examples online. Once you train this, it works really well. So I think everybody should be able to hear this. Here is a sample of a female voice speaking. I should probably get in shape this year. What, was that DC girl? It could have been. I mean, it could have been. And uh, but it's like, OK, so I don't want oh, I should have probably gotten get in shape this year. And well, no, I meant to say something else on the podcast. 
you know, let's see. I'm going to click generate audio just to show you. I should probably fuck Bemrose hard this year. Now, that sounds pretty damn good for a computerized voice. I I don't disagree. (laughs) You know, I mean, this is this is bizarre stuff. This is really bizarre stuff that you can make a text edit and change the audio in a file. Yeah. Uh Doesn't matter if the person ever said the word or not. What was there ever any doubt that this technology was coming though? No, there wasn't any doubt that it was coming. It's once it gets here that you start realizing just how scary this can be because this is where the the concept of and this has already happened and with uh, which we'll we'll talk a little bit about the Twitter story too and how they got that hack when they had all the cryptocurrency things showing up on a hundred different accounts. A lot of this is just being able to socially engineer um, and there, there've already been cases. So if I, you know, let's just say I'm the CEO of a multi-billion dollar corporation and somebody can take my voice, get a voice print and then call up somebody in the business and be like, Hey, send all this money to Bemrose. I never so, said it, but uh quick programming note, the people in the troll room are saying they didn't hear any of those clips. They didn't hear those clips. Let's see here. The troll room, the troll room, the troll room. Let me pull up mix. You know, I guess I should put the little talk thing on here. Let's we'll redo this again for the people in the troll room here. Here's the first one. I should probably get in shape this year. Now, did you hear that troll room? I should probably get in shape this year. And we will change that to something more fun for somebody to do. I should probably fuck Bemrose hard this year. Now, does that not sound realistic, Troll Room? That does not sound I, like the computerized I, are voice. Are you kidding me? I, I hear that six times a day. <laughs> That's all you hear in your fantasies. In my day head. in, day out. Random women just saying, I need a little Bemrose in my life. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get it. But the technology is its scary and it's intriguing. And I can understand how it can be used in so many ways to. For good and for bad, because here's the thing. Once you get your voice programmed into this, you know, you want to create an audio book. Well, damn, you already have the book. You have the transcription, right? You have the text. This thing just runs through. And I'm sure with a few tweaks here or there, you can do probably 95 percent of an audio book just by feeding it the text. Something that would normally take hours and hours and hours. And, and that's one of the awesome and probably least frightening applications of of this technology uh, yes you know obviously, the scary part yeah there, there's some know, really we, frightening stuff about it but you mean like you could have the president of the united states voice no matter what it is and then calling for really bad things oh you don't need to fake that <laughs> okay that happens all the time no matter which one it is yeah in obama i mean really at a eulogy we're talking you know taking swipes at trump it's like this you people are disgusting but well, that's a side note. So uh, here, here's my reaction to this. And uh, here my, my reaction is I am old enough to remember when a fairly powerful brand new and disturbingly expensive uh, meaning, uh, therefore heavily, heavily pirated piece of software came along called Photoshop and people discovered that you could create fake photos that at a glance looked realistic and looked like real photos and this 
blew a lot of people's minds and it caused a whole lot of trouble when for a couple of years, um, a, a lot of fake photographs were getting out and causing a lot of damage because people didn't realize I they were fake. probably listen to grumpy old Ben's this year. Not just this year, this week, today, now. <laughs> over and over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're making a good point. I mean, Photoshop was well, the first thing that came down when people were like, oh, wait, I see something, you know, whether especially when it's news coverage, when it's a snap and a photograph and it's like, oh, I can't trust that anymore. And, and there's always going to be a period of a couple of years where people don't realize how good the technology is and, and a lot of fakes are going to get through. But after a, a, a period of adjustment, everybody will, you know, nowadays, you know, you show somebody like, a, you, you know, it, I, I, I see five dozen of them come across no agenda social every day. It's, it's some photo that has somebody else's face put on it for the purpose of making a political joke or something. And you look at it, you're like, ha ha, that's funny. Somebody really worked on that. Nobody thinks that, that, you know, Donald Trump riding a shark through, you know, while water skiing is, it, it, it actually happened, but I've seen photos of it. And when Photoshop first came out, I'd look at that and go, wow, I wonder how they tamed that shark. But nobody thinks <laughs> well, that yeah. anymore. Everybody's like, yeah, somebody, you know, put in the work or every single no agenda show art that the things you can do by crafting whatever kind of of narrative image you want is really impressive. And everybody just understands that that the ability to to craft something that is fake but looks really good is there for images. And I think that we're going to encounter the same period of adjustment where. Uh, we're, we, I mean, it's going to be fantastic for conspiracy minded people and people who want to gaslight each other saying, here, listen oh, yeah. to this recording of, of Donald Trump saying that, that, you know, Gretchen Whitmer was his favorite person ever or something. But yes, we're now adding audio and video to the deep fakes, and that's going to make it more fun, I think, for everybody involved to have to question reality. I should probably give Harry Hamster a treat this year. I mean, that's just way better than just a few years ago. Uh, it sounds ago. like she's got a full year planned. Yes, she does. She's got a whole lot of things. I mean, you have that. You have to. This is their little uh, test thing. So you have to leave the I should probably. And then this year at the end, anything else you want, you can put in the uh, in the middle. And even with names, that's the intriguing part, because you would think sometimes if it you know if it had to be a dictionary word, otherwise it would get confused. You know, it seems like now it understands, you know, names. I mean, Bemrose, I'm assuming Wait, is not in the dictionary. If she can read names, how long before she becomes the replacement for Dvorak during the donation segment? <laughs> I think maybe. But how do you know it's not? He could already just get on this service. <laughs> you he, think, you know, you think Dvorak there for is probably- just, just playing the deep, you know, he's like plug the spreadsheet into the deep fake meter and, yes. and then begging off for a smoke or something. Yes, because that's all you have to do. I mean, once you train it, I mean, you probably have to sit there because they give you a script, I guess, when you get <laughs> when you purchase this service, they give you a script to read and it probably takes a half hour to an hour to read the whole thing through. But that's what they use to train the AI to do your voice. So that would be great. This is great for podcasters. You could just phone the whole thing in. Devorah could be a sleep during the show. <laughs> you can yeah. See, wait, I can. Now, here's an idea. If I can get you to train this, then I can, don't even need you. I can just be typing what I want you to say next while I'm type, you know, boom, whole show. 
No, we're we're at least five years away from from AI being able to go full Bemrose. I, it, they they do not have they have not made an AI voice yet that can be that unhinged. Prove me wrong. Well, they're they're working at it though. They're definitely working at it. Uh, let's see here if she'll uh, give you a little prescription. Uh, I should probably give Sir Bemrose a Valium this year. Ooh, see, maybe I did I spell Valium right? V A L I U M Valium. Uh, that, either that way. Is the, correct spelling but you're i mean you know you were saying words that they don't recognize that's going to be the same problem that humans have which is that true if if you get the spelling right but true we've all heard no agenda when dvorak's like yeah the the, the people in the netherlands always get them i mean this isn't even this isn't even dvorak's fault as much as he's fun to blame for things it this is the english language has way too many completely arbitrary rules where you don't you know it it I, I like programming languages a lot. They're way simpler because you learn a grammar and you learn rules and everything's consistent. English has never been like that. English, especially, but most spoken languages are you learn the grammar, you learn the rules, and then you spend the rest of your life learning the arbitrary points where you're supposed to throw out the grammar or the rules right. and do something else. Yes. The exceptions are always the thing that confuses things out. And uh, this is interesting tech. So it's going to be. Fun to watch where this stuff goes, a little terrifying, and maybe we'll give this thing a try. I'm just curious how this would do, you know, for doing a quick little solo podcast, boom. For people that like Sir Matthew, that I want to hear how it would do his voice, because that would be a little harder, I think, because he's got that really big French, beautiful thing going on in his voice. But, you know, I guess uh, well, you just you know, need maybe- a French startup to develop the same technology. And then true, true. And then but it's nice for people that do podcast prep and i know sir met you i mean they a lot of people actually type a script out you know they're not shows like we do which are conversation for people that actually type a script yeah, out you're not seeing the notes i have in front of me i'm like having to use the page up and page down keys <laughs> that's almost like real work for you but uh I, you know, it, I know it's crazy i'm not supposed to be doing work but i got up this morning i'm like i've got nothing to talk about today i should probably go check out some stories and and now uh well what's this one come in this one comes in at 92 lines. Of, of text that i've written out for, wow. for just that's, my notes for today that's not bad um, before we get to more of those i just wanted to hit back upon the twitter hack which we were all kind of wondering how this happened when all these you know was what uh, i wasn't wondering well you knew how it happened and i think i understood how well, it i might have been the one to do it I, <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny that it's all social engineering. It said a successful attack required the attackers to obtain access to both our internal network as well as specific employee credentials that granted them access to our internal support tools. Not all of the employees that were initially targeted had permission to use account management tools, but the attacker used their credentials to access our internal systems and gain information about our processes. So basically, they socially engineered people at the fringe who had no ability to do this nefarious stuff and then yeah. found out the information they needed. Yeah. And anybody who's doing computer security, just, I mean, this, this should be one of the first things that they teach is it's not enough to secure the software. You also have to secure the meatware. Yes. Because the quote, this attack relied on a significant and concerted attempt to mislead certain employees and exploit human vulnerabilities to gain access yes. to our internal system. So what Twitter's saying there, their employee got duped. Yeah. That's and and somehow it's news when it happens to a company, but when it's the government doing it, everybody's cool with it. 
Yes. Just to let you know what the attackers got away with, they used the stolen credentials to target 130 accounts on Twitter. They tweeted from 45. They accessed the direct messages of 36 and downloaded the complete data of seven users. So I wonder who those uh, 36, they read their private messages and the seven, they got all their data. Now imagine if what you're describing and what happened on Twitter was the kind of hack that was it was the common type of hack back in the you know 90s and early yeah, 2000s. Yeah, the Kevin Mitnick thing. It, it was, you know, people going in just to screw around or to embarrass somebody or or to, you know, just hey, you know, hacking into a system because I can. You know, we, uh anybody worth their salt has seen the the War Games movie with not not the the crappy remake. I mean the Matthew Broderick one. Yes. Uh where he, he is a hacker in that movie. And, you know, the, the methods are, uh, they, they were laughably wrong at the time. And I, I knew that at the time, cause of course I might have been a hacker then, but, uh, but they were, they were good enough for Hollywood and it certainly looks dated, but the ideas of, Hey, I want to go, you know, hack into a system and, and, you know, why are you doing this? Well, because I want to see if I can, that, right. I want to play is, the latest game before it's released. Yeah. That, oh yeah. That was, that was his thing. He wanted to, and okay yes it's it's breaking into systems and it's not right but it's also at least a simple motivation and is also the kind of thing that you know in this case of twitter they found out pretty quickly because people were just fucking around but well, yeah because they posted it, to how what 100 or which yeah. the, there were a bunch of accounts that they posted a bitcoin scam which was hey send us X amount, whatever you send us in Bitcoin, we'll send you two times back. So here's the question I have for you. Yes. Uh, how has this, is this the first time that Twitter has ever been compromised like this? Probably it's the first not. time we know about, but my money would be on no. Cause here's the thing when you know, the, the hackers who go in just to see if they can, those are not the ones you have to worry about. The ones you have to worry about are the corporate espionage. They are the, right. the, you know, agents from China. I guess China's the, the really big evil now in the world. Uh, they are, they, they are the truly nefarious actors who are not hacking into Twitter for the purpose of tweeting from accounts. They are hacking in, in order to lay the groundwork for some plan that we're not going to find out about for six more months because they're, you know, the, their plan might be to say, uh, you know, collapse the world economy by manufacturing propaganda around a virus or something. I mean, that that's straight out of a some kind of a John Grisham novel, but I, you never know. Uh, but I, that that might have even you know, if that had happened with Twitter, these people are not going to send out fake tweets and and let us know they're going to lay in a back door. I mean, that's that's the real problem with anybody who gets their system hacked is is the the dangerous ones will put in a back door so that they can go in at any time they'll set stuff up and they'll start using your system to further their ends and they will never ever let anyone know about it because if you find out about it you fix it if you don't know about it you don't fix it and they get to use it over and over again that's how botnets work and it just makes me wonder if twitter is this easy to get into by some yokel who just wants to see if they can, then how many other agencies are in there reading everyone's DMS on Twitter, right? Uh, you know, s- sending out, uh, you know, fake stuff only at, at particular times to, you know, cause you, you can make, if, if you, if 
If you take over the right Twitter account and you send the right tweet at the right time, you can move Wall Street and make oh, yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. There is absolutely no doubt about it. And what people put in their direct messages, very questionable, which is why, again, I did an episode the other day of random thoughts, like use talks, use anything, but one of these centralized systems for sensitive information, because you're right, when it comes down to corporate espionage, you know, let's just say that the, and this would be funny if it would happen. Let's just say Jeff Bezos and, uh, you know, the Mark Zuckerberg we're having a DM conversation in Twitter. I mean, I don't think either one of those guys is that stupid, but people with fairly large companies are that wouldn't think twice that. Yeah, there are a lot of people out there that are that stupid. I don't know if it's those two, but. I would hope it's not that, but you never know. And that's where, you know, Twitter, it's like you've got you're the sandbox. You have access to all of this information. You can use this in any way, shape or form. And when people are, you know, sending, you know, anything that could be used against you, let's just put it that way, in a direct message on Twitter, you have to assume that's going to be compromised. That you have to. Otherwise, you know, I, I always assume that Twitter is compromised. Well, not just Twitter, though. I mean, that's yeah. that's the sad part of all this. Everything you have to assume if you're if you have things on a Gmail box, it could be compromised. Even stuff on Proton Mail, as good as they are with their whole system being encrypted and blah, 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 not selling your data, it doesn't mean that they're that not susceptible of. to be hacked. Right. I mean, it, it's it, it's a trade off that everybody has to make. And that is you, you can either do it yourself or you can trust somebody else to do it. And if you do it yourself, it's a hell of a lot of work. If you trust somebody else, then you better damn well trust them. Yes, I like this part in the TechCrunch article. Twitter also claimed access to account management tools is, quote, strictly limited and, quote, only granted for valid business reasons. Yet later in the blog post, Twitter notes that it had, quote, significantly limited access to those tools since the attack. So which is it? <laughs> Do you not. Did have you not been giving that access to enough people or now you get oh I, I, I'm sorry are you, are you trying to fact check corporate propaganda? Yes, I know okay. it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. It's it's a whole lot of fun and it's just something that people have to be taught. Like there are other search engines besides Google, you have to be taught that hey, even though it says, you know, it's private and it's a direct message on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or God forbid TikTok or whatever you're using, that's not really private. No agenda social, not really private. That's, you no. know, I don't care who it is. I mean, I know every time that I send something out to the world, I'm amazed that it's not private uh, here. Okay. Here, here's a, a pro tip from grumpy old Benz. If you have something that you don't want other people to find out, don't send it out to the internet. And God forbid, don't podcast about it. Yeah. Yeah. Every, I, everything you, everything we're saying on this episode is confidential. You are not allowed to. Uh, yeah, yeah, that. that Wait, everybody fly. signed those agreements, right? When they started yes, these streams, yes, you are. Well, I, you're yeah, legally yes. bound. And those agreements are they're just as uh, just as real as the the social contract that we all signed when we entered this society. Yeah, no. better yet, go tell everybody about Grumpy Old Benz and tell them to listen now. That is a better idea. Yeah. So I have uh, one more story, and it is a story of uh, it, it gives me some glee, of the Schadenfreude a little bit. Uh, it's about Patreon. Ooh. So uh, I don't know if you recall uh, in early 2019, 
uh, Patreon had, it, it, I mean, I, they, are, they were almost ahead of the curve, almost. Um, they had a wave of deplatformings where they kicked a lot of content creators off for uh, things, you know, the, the, the go-to bogus reason when you want to kick somebody off for political reasons is you just say hate speech. Uh, but it was pretty obvious even at the time that this was a, a right wing purge. Um, the, you know, what, probably the biggest name was, uh, uh, Sakad of something, you know, what the hell was his name? Uh, was, I remember the guy. I don't remember his name. Yeah. I, 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 the, the troll room knows, but it was, yeah, but he was kicked off of Patreon at the time. Um, Sargon of Akkad. Thank you to one of them. Um, that I, I never really listened to him, but he was apparently uh, had quite a following on the platform was, uh, but, but he was uh, a little bit too far right wing for Patreon. Um, and, and so were the hundreds of other people who got kicked off for quote unquote hate speech, whatever the hell that means. Uh, you know, I, I, I challenge anybody to define exactly what hate speech is that doesn't require a hell of a lot of exceptions and interpretation and, and effectively completely subjective. But anyways, uh, one of the people who was kicked off in that particular Patreon purge was a comedian named Owen Benjamin, who again was uh, a conservative. And uh, what he ended up doing was he went through the Patreon terms of service and he encouraged every one of his fans, every one of the people who had been a user of Patreon and had in fact been sending Patreon money to give to this guy. uh, He encouraged every one of them to sue Patreon. Uh, Patreon had a mandatory arbitration clause in their terms of service. And he encouraged every single one of them to do that. Now, uh, the mandatory arbitration clause means that all you, you can't do class action. Um, all of your suits have to be one-on-one and the loser has to pay uh, for the arbitration. Um, however, uh, they are, most of the arbiting companies require money up front and the company generally has to pay up front for that. But he encouraged his thousands and thousands of fans to take Patreon to court in, in this arbitration court. Um, that was going to be enough in arbitration fees, especially when you can't promote things to class action. Everybody has the, the no class action clause. Uh, you know, the, the, by the way, the reason that they put no class action clauses in is to make it so to limit the ability for people to get together and, and try to, get a giant judgment but this is not the first company that has has put a mandatory one-on-one arbitration clause in and then suddenly started to regret it when thousands of people all tried to use it resulting in millions of dollars of arbitration fees but patreon changed their terms of service uh sometime at the end of last year to say that you can't do this they added the following to their terms of service they said you may not bring a claim against us for suspending or terminating another person's account and you agree you will not bring such a claim. If you try to bring such a claim, you are responsible for the damages caused, including attorney fees and costs. They added that to the terms of service. Um, when a terms of service gets something like that, first of all, you kind of look at this and go, uh, what the hell happened and why are they in such trouble? Uh, however, just this week, uh, San Francisco judge Ethan Shulman, who is presiding over the Owen Benjamin versus Patreon case, uh, ruled that by making the terms of service change that Patreon 
changed the rules in the middle of the game. And the result is that Patreon is now required to go to arbitration with each and every one of those affected users under uh, the terms of their 2019 terms of service. Well, I'm assuming these people got these things in before they changed the terms of service, correct? Yes. Although uh, the, the order, at least the way I read it, is that anybody who was wronged when the old terms of service was in effect can still can still that pile on. Yeah, that makes sense. It, it does make sense, I, which is why I didn't expect that. But that's kind of <laughs> how the article read. So, yeah, what's the result of this? Um, Patreon's pretty fucked here. If all of these people continue to go through Patreon instituted a right wing purge and is now going to blow 75 percent of their revenue on arbitration fees because they decided to inject their own politics into the because they were ahead of the curve on on deplatforming people that they disagreed with ideologically now the individual users do they have to pay up front for the the fee for the no no the the because uh it is the company that has contracted the arbitration uh, organization the company pays up front and then if the arbitration goes the other way then the fees are charged to the user so the but, user would have to lose for them to be charged yes so obviously patreon thinks they're going to lose so, this well, <laughs> uh, even if patreon wins every single one of them which i'm not sure they can uh even if they win every single one of them they you know the the patreon the company makes i i don't know what their revenue is but it said uh, that this was going to the the arbitration fees from this year alone were going to be almost two years worth of revenue for them. Wow, that's substantial. That is substantial. Yeah. And this is, I mean, I don't feel sorry for any one of these companies that gets involved in something like this when you start removing people from your platform because you don't like what they say. Now, if a regional law even said that whatever they were posting was illegal in their area i would almost understand that but not just because oh well yeah he's spewing well, uh, there's, there's lots of regional laws that say hate speech is is illegal but there are no objective definitions of hate speech right well yeah and, so that's the and, that's the problem yeah, when one person says something sure. and yeah when when different people are treated differently even though they're saying the same thing just to another person well, it depends on who the person they're saying it is. If you want to say, you know, fuck Trump, well, that's okay. But you say fuck Alyssa Milano, it's like, oh, no, no, that's bad. We can't have that. So the the people I do feel sorry for are if if Patreon decides to either uh, go you know out of business entirely or to pass on the increased costs onto the people on the platform, then I do feel sorry for the people who are making their living by donations on patreon because it is a valuable tool for the value for value media which we participate in here on grumpy old bins it is a valuable tool to to connect with people uh so i do feel bad about that but yeah if it is really really hard to feel sorry for the company in you know in in the words of of a wise man uh from the 90s uh don't start nothing won't be nothing and who was that? I don't. I have no idea. 
Um, it, there, I, I, read, I saw it in a Will Smith movie. Yeah, well, maybe that was Will Smith, but it makes sense. Day, I think, <laughs> you know, it makes sense. I mean, I, well, it does. What doesn't make sense is Patreon or anybody in that position when they have people making money and bringing money into their service that would rather cut them off. Well, because you have to appease the woke mob, I guess that's the that's the problem. The the woke mob, whether the people involved at the top are involved or not, there was a story that there was a music reviewer, I think for pitchfork, it's a you know magazine online zine kind of thing that only gave Taylor Swift's latest album, like eight out of 10 and a bunch of Taylor Swift fans, Doxter. I mean, it's some amazing <laughs> stuff. Awful. Yeah. I mean, it's just some amazingly scary stuff, but this is the kind of mob, I guess that goes after Patreon with, Oh my God, you're letting grumpy old Ben's on your platform. Hey, we're going to, we're going to go after you. And yeah, then they go, yeah. Oh shit, we better get rid of them. How how dare you allow this thing to exist that I wouldn't even know about if somebody hadn't told me I needed to be outraged by it? Uh huh. Yeah. Well, yeah. Just like there was a story again, another Taylor Swift one, which I'm a Taylor Swift fan, not a fan of the way she released this latest I, album. No, but to, to be clear, you're a fan of her music. Yes. Yes. No. Oh, yeah. And, and maybe even a fan of her photos, <laughs> but not necessarily her behavior recently. Correct. Uh, but she got screwed in this case, and because it was a black woman that owns this company i guess some woman has a company that's called folklore and that was the name of taylor swift's new album which i mean i don't know i've heard the word folklore long before this woman's business was there or it's an entire genre of music yes so i don't really understand this and they're like oh taylor swift obviously stole the logo of my company and i can't believe she would do this and immediately taylor swift being the woke person she is obviously made a phone call and paid this woman off because she starts saying nice things about Taylor Swift that, immediately that, that's thereafter. That's not woke. That's that's mercantile. Yeah, well, that's high, that's really that's um, highway robbery when it comes down to it. That too. But the woman's uh, like yeah, she's the, the word you're looking for is extortion. Yes, because the woman's like she's obviously the people that did this for her and her merchandise. She stole my logo, and I went and looked, and I'm expecting there to be a logo, but there's not. It's just the word folklore. Well, no, obviously it was stolen. And it wasn't even the same font. So what the? There's no logo. It's a word that's in the dictionary. You fucking idiot. (laughs) It's like this. I don't get it. People are just that stupid, just like the artist. I mean, like Neil Young and all these other ones like I'm going to sue Donald Trump for using my music. Well, is your music available to be licensed by anybody? Well, yeah, it's not stupid. It's not stupid. It's greedy. Yeah, It's, it's corrupt. It's underhanded, but not stupid. If if I see an opportunity to be like, oh, Darren used my name on, on his podcast and I can sue him. And if you had millions and millions of dollars and it was more financially beneficial for you to pay me a half a million dollars, than it would be to go to court with me or or suffer the bad press. Then, hey, free half million dollars. That that's not stupid. That's I mean, it's it's evil, but it's. uh it's a pretty rational decision. Yeah. And you know where when marketing goes too far, I own a copy of every Taylor Swift vinyl that's come out so far. Is that as far really as the something full album. you want to admit publicly? Sure. Um, the only one I have never I, tracked down. There was a copy of Red, her album Red, that was sent to the Academy of Country Music. There's another copyrighted term right there. Which one? Red. Red. Right. You can't you can't use red. That's that's wrong. They send out a copy 
for people that vote. And it was on red vinyl. That was the only way to get the red vinyl. And I wish I would have picked that up when I could have ordered it online. You know, eBay, when they were selling for like a hundred bucks a piece, cause now they're up to like 500, but I digress with, uh, you know, and I have the vinyl for all the other albums. They have some record store day versions that came out. I bought a copy of those, the new album that just dropped. Do you know? Cause I mean, occasionally they will come out with, you know, an alternate, you know, packaging or something like that. And I get it. Usually there's the normal release. And then maybe you have a target release. And usually there's maybe a grand total of two or three different versions, you know, of the vinyl or the CD or whatever. Now, this latest one, there are eight different packagings for the vinyl and eight different packagings for the CD. And it's like, that's pushing one of those people who's going to buy it eight times. No, I'm buying zero this time where if there was only one or two, I would have probably bought two copies of each. Like, well, I'll open one and I'll save one because I think they'll go up in value at some point. But (laughs) when there's eight of them, I buy zero. So it kind of backfires. I think it's like, that's getting a little greedy. I, maybe it is, but okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I understand what, why not? I mean, if you were going to buy, two copies anyway why not just buy two copies and pretend that the others don't exist they're not hurting you by existing are they yes oh i I have that completest mentality which is a real (laughs) problem with music okay okay and and this is somehow taylor swift's fault yes because you're you're, releasing that you have a a mental defect that you yes (laughs) it's a little ocd come on you should understand that it's a uh like Okay, I, I do I, understand I, it, which is why I'm laughing at you because it's ridiculous. <laughs> That's like I should either buy, I'm either going to buy all of them or I'm going to buy none of them. I wouldn't just I, buy it, it, anything else, just as madness, man. There's something wrong with you. <laughs> there probably is. That's why I'm podcasting with you. But regardless, that's pushing the envelope a little too far to come out immediately with eight different vinyl versions. And the only thing different is the packaging the music exactly the same on everyone and then she start coming out like the second day with singles on seven inch vinyl 12 inch vinyl cd it's like how much stuff are you putting out at once stop it I, the, the, this only harms the people who have some kind of mental defect where if a product exists they must buy it i know the the, the rational response to this is in fact, the rational response to any kind of resource allocation is that you consume what you need and you just leave the rest for somebody else. No, see, but if you like grumpy old Ben's, you should listen to all. What would I tell you? 140 hours or something of it. There is now you got to listen to it all, man, or you're uh, missing uh, out. Well, I, I think that's probably true. But at the same time, listening to binge, listening to 140 hours of grumpy old Ben's might also be evidence of a mental defect. Or if you didn't have one to begin with by like episode 30 or 40, you'd have a few. Yeah, it's here. You, you need some. Yes. You got them to yeah. spare. You yeah. know what? Uh, I, I, I would just like to point out my official position, which is that you do not have to listen to 140 hours of grumpy old Ben's to donate to our show. That is true. And we're working on levels, you know, kind of the, the, the way no agenda has taught us. You should have levels for your your patronage. So your peerage map, you should be able to have, okay, so you gave this amount. Here's the title we're giving you and up and up and up. And I sent that in the newsletter. So if anybody has any, they just took a bunch of tech terms and I'm like, 
What order would they go in? What level should they all be at? So I threw some ideas out there. So we're going to be working on that because we know that people who haven't sent anything in yet, instead of douchebags like No Agenda, we were calling people script kitties. But now we're thinking that the ultimate level, I mean, short of Bemrose for Grumpy Old Ben's peerage would be master of Grumpy Old Ben's. So if we're going to have masters, if you have given the highest level and, and if we are mirroring like no agenda, that would be like a $30,000 level. So I don't know if anybody would ever get to master level of Grumpy Old Ben's. It would be nice. I mean, if somebody out there wants to jump direct to master $30,000, send it to us right now. But if master's the highest slave has to be the lowest, right? I just. I, I I feel like going around calling people slaves for not donating to our show is the kind of thing that will uh, get us either marginalized or deplatformed even faster than is on a long-term plan. But isn't that what we're going for? It's, it's a work in progress. Yes, we're working on it. So give us any kind of input you have. Check out the newsletter. If you haven't done so, you can go to our website, sign up for the newsletter. We let you know when shows are coming up. And all sorts of good stuff. But we do have donors for this particular show. And we're not, they're not really donors. They're experts. They're experts. And then we'll have other things that they can be in the making, like Guru or, you know, a Bemrose or Master or, you know, all sorts of cool things. But we have to say a big thank you, even though he didn't send a note and he claimed this wasn't him. So, I mean, this, maybe this will be the donation. If you want it to go and be uh, and put into the column for our buddy right. comic strip blogger, are, are we getting deep fake donations now? We may be, but comic strip blogger, he's he's done this before and he said this is his donation, which is point zero zero three three Bitcoin, which right now is like thirty six dollars and twenty five cents American. That came in zero zero three three Bitcoin. I thanked him over on No Agenda oh, Social. Hey. And he said he hadn't done anything. And then he gave me the laughing face. So I'm thinking this is CSB or it's just if you want to donate in comic strip bloggers name, what you do is you send us Bitcoin of point zero zero three three Bitcoin without a note and we will give it to a comic strip blogger. Well, thank you, anonymous impersonating benefactor, whomever you are. Yes. Whether you're comic strip blogger or not, it is greatly appreciated. And now that was, again, point zero zero three three Bitcoin coming in next. At 3333, there's a lot of 33s going on today. Our buddy, Sir Candinavian, and the only comment he put in was crossing the streams in honor of our little swap cast we yeah. did the other night with the Grimerica boys, eh? I, I, and the, obviously the donation is, is desired and we encourage people to do that. But Sir Candinavian is also an excellent producer. He is the one who set up our, our swap cast that. If you haven't listened to it, we you got an extra grumpy old bins in your feed to this week because we went and and did a two and a half hour show with Darren and Darren and Graham and I, the two <laughs> double guys the Darren, from double the fun. Yes, there was way too much Darren on that call. It was a whole lot of fun. Those guys are really enjoyable to talk to. Very knowledgeable. Yeah. And they're much better interviewers than we are. Uh, because they actually listen to people and they let people speak, which you know. is is something we've never figured out. We we bring guests on the show and then talk over them. You know, you and I do all right together because you never shut up 
and leave room for anyone to talk, but I interrupt you all the time anyway. So we get our time in, but we bring on somebody like Nick the rat and he's just sitting there going, do, do, am I even on this show still? Can I, can I, can let me, you can, can I say, can I say something? What, guy, come. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, if you're going to come on grumpy old Ben's, there's a very simple thing you need to keep in mind. Just talk, talk loudly. And if we keep interrupting, you say, hey, hey, let me talk. It's what we do. That's how it works for us. So we appreciate it, Sir Candidavian, for setting that up, getting us into the uh, Grimerica feed. Those guys do a hell of a show and they were absolutely right. And it was kind of what I was expecting their answer to be because I, I had to ask the question, what is your secret to success? And their immediate answer was, we've been doing this a long time. And that is. A big yeah. part of growing a podcasting audience is just continue doing episodes, which is the same answer you got when you asked that question of Adam. He said yeah. 30,000 hours. Yeah, you keep building an audience. It's not Weird. like you're you're coming to the game from zero and you're going to get to a million people overnight. But I notice a much higher rate and it's these metrics are horrible and none of them really mean anything. But when I keep going to the podcast addict app and they show you how many people are subscribed to the episode, to the podcast, just strictly within their app, every time I go to it, and that's probably every two or three days, there are more people that have subscribed to Grumpy Old Ben. So it shows more people are coming in. We haven't stagnated. We're not just sitting with one little small audience that's never going to grow. So we appreciate everybody for donating monetarily. But we also appreciate the people that post about the show, tell their friends about the show. A guy on Twitter just followed me. He was another guy from Australia. So I was glad you did the Australian thing with the Facebook and Google, because we have a lot of people in Australia that listen. And it, I followed was, him back. It was a fascinating story that is it, because the Internet is global, that that story is going to go global. And re regardless of how it turns out, that's I mean, it's going to have effects all over around the world. I think it's an important story. It is. And it's well, the way this works is all of these governments look at what other governments are doing and seeing what they can get away with. And it's like, oh, you guys did that in Australia. Hey, we could do that here, too. Oh, oh, you took away these rights from all your people. We can do that, too. Yes. The guy's yeah. name on Twitter is Stanto G J Stanton at G J Stanton. And the thing pinned to his Twitter profile was a list of his top 10 podcasts. And I was really excited to see grumpy old Ben's coming in at number 10. I was, I was <laughs> less excited. 10. Yes. We we're number, number 10. 10. We're <laughs> number 10. I was less excited when I saw hog story at number nine, those bastards. Let's uh, they, they, they've been doing this a lot longer than we have. We're, no, they haven't. We're shooting for them by like what? Two months. <laughs> well, for that, for grumpy old Ben's. Yes. But I mean, Hey, I was doing random thoughts before hog story. But the it's a good list. Number eight, that Larry show. That's a great show. No question about it. Number seven, Mo Facts with Adam Curry. And he does have the whole thing. Mo Facts with Adam Curry. So he gave Adam his due in the list. Number six, Nick the Rat. I'm seeing a pattern here. And the shows that Stanto digs. Can't complain about Nick the Rat either. But number five, Middle Theory. I don't know what that show is. I'll have to look it up. Number know, four. But if it's value for value, I got to give it a listen. True. I don't know if it is or not. Number four, DH Unplugged. We know those guys. Number three, the Micah Hanks program. Number two, Mysterious Universe. And number one, 
the No Agenda Show. No doubt it belongs at number one. But that was these are the kind of things you see on Twitter. I know you're not on Twitter, but it's, it was yeah, nice. It's not the kind of thing I see on Twitter, believe it or not. It's nice. The user's list is the guy's name again, cold acid. Follow along at G J Stanton, S T A N T O N. Follow him on Twitter. He's a grumpy old Ben's guy. No agenda nope. guy. Hog story guy. Well, you won't. I'm not following him on Twitter. I'm sorry. You do have a couple more donations, <laughs> a couple of more experts, although uh, both of these guys have already been experts. So it's uh, Sir Sammy coming in with 1111. And we appreciate that. And Bruce City Mike coming in with 10 bucks. He sent me some stuff on uh, Random Thoughts 2 the other day saying, hey, I can't believe nobody even sent you anything for the last show. I'm like, yeah, I know, Mike. It's, uh, it's okay. It I happens. Can. It happens. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I was going to mention here, I have a note because, uh, you know, we take for granted or it doesn't pop up in my feed. The people that are on Patreon and there are four people on Patreon that are on the monthly thing. And I was going to make the note. That w- the first show of every month, w- if you are on Patreon, we were going to give you the shout out. But now Patreon might be gone. So, I mean, that might not even happen. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think this is going to close down <laughs> Patreon. I think that I, I think this is going to hurt them. And I think that you might see some changes come about. We already saw the change in the TOS. You might see an increase in fees. Yeah, I don't think they're going away. No, I don't think they're going away. And we'll, we'll, we're going to look into some other things as well. The locals.com that Scott Adams is on seems like it would also be perfect for grumpy old Ben's, except for the fact that it's, I believe, although maybe you can do any amount you want. I thought it has, I think he just set, you can set a minimum there. So that makes sense. I mean, you can set like a minimum of five bucks a month and then people want to give more. They can, they want to, you know, whatever, but having alternate streams are good because you never know. When something like pay now, it used to be you were worried that the company was going to go under because a lot of these companies were new and you're like, well, what if Patreon disappears? You know, now you don't have that worry with places like PayPal, but you're like, well, yeah, but PayPal can lock you out. Just take your money. They're not going anywhere, but you don't know if they're going to treat you fairly. I, I, I assume that they won't. Yes, that's uh, that's probably true, but we appreciate everybody for donating to the grumpy old Ben's podcast. We're doing these shows uh, at least two days a week. We'll be back on Monday. Uh, The first show of the month. Yeah. The first show of the month and your first chance for August to be an expert with grumpy old Ben's. If you want to learn how to do that, go to grumpy old All the information you need is there from an easy button. You can push to send in a donation through PayPal. We have a QR code for Bitcoin, which I believe CSB used or the anonymous donor. And we also have a P.O. Box address. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the show, do that. And I think I'm going to be running some kind of contest, maybe give away a grumpy old Ben's mask or something. Although I know it won't fit me. I've been trying to find a cloth mask that fits my big head, but it just doesn't. They don't fit. They're too small. Tell you what, there there is not a mask out there that fits me during. Well, that may not be able to control you, but it's like they're just too damn small. I know I'm too big. Because it'll fit, but the minute I talk, the thing comes off. So it's like, you know what? The, the minute that I remember what the fuck I'm doing, the thing comes off. Uh-huh. Have I ever told you you have a fat head? Yeah, probably. Yeah. It wouldn't, or a big head at the very least. I mean, I know Dvorak said I had the, the face for radio, whatever that means. I don't know, John. Thanks. <laughs> it seems like a compliment that doesn't really a compliment. And, and if you want to know what Darren's talking about, <laughs> go find the grumpy old Ben's video feed. 
And yeah, if you find it, can, let us know so we can shut that shit down because I don't want video in here. YouTube.com slash Darren O'Neill reviews is where you'll find my videos. And I know not a really great name anymore that I'm not doing a lot of reviews, but hey, that's where it's at. And YouTube doesn't make that kind of stuff easy to change. But we're trying to make it easy for people that want to get involved with the show. You can follow us on No Agenda Social. That's probably the best place. And if you need an invite to that, go to Grumpy Old Ben's. There's a link there where you can get an invite or go to the No Agenda Troll Room at noagendastream.com. You can always get an invite there and you can follow Grumpy Old Ben's on Twitter, but that's mainly when we release new shows and when shows are beginning, that's where the bat signal goes. But you also get that on No Agenda Social. So there's all that that seems to work. So anything else we need to cover before we're out of here for July? We call July a success. I got nothing. You got nothing. That's nothing new. That's not a surprise. We appreciate nothing interesting to say this month. <laughs> that hasn't stopped you for all these other shows. But hey, we appreciate the guys from Grimerica for talking to us. We appreciate Phone Boy and uh, Sir Spencer for sitting in for you when you were off. We appreciate Nick the Rat for coming in to do a guest spot too, and Billy Bones. We're uh, we're not a Don't show that Carolyn. does, you know. We're, we're well, Carolyn as well. We're we're not a show that really does interviews per se, but we just like to invite people along to. Uh, for the insanity and see if they can get a word in microphone while we podcast at them. (laughs) Right. We see if they can get a word in edgewise while we're doing the podcast. Really? We only want somebody to come in and mediate between Ryan and I. So if you're good at that, like uh, (laughs) conflict resolutions and stuff like that, send me an email. I think we'd have to pay an arbiter fee. (laughs) That's big, but more like a, like a marriage counselor or something like that would be maybe more suitable for the job. And Hey, if you're up for uh, it, Darren at grumpyoldbends.com or Ryan at grumpyoldbends.com. And with all that said, until next time, I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where the politics suck and the baseball. Oh, no, wait, that sucks, too. And from America's left coast, where I'm now waiting for Google's royalty check for propagandizing me. I'm Ryan Bemrose.